when I think about what I was doing when I was a teenager, I was definitely not going to the streets and advocating for what I think needed to happen when it comes to climate change and my future. And I'm just so inspired and awed by the youth that have been mobilizing around this over the last two to three years. But then every time I get inspired, I get so disappointed because they should be children. They should be young people. They shouldn't have to remind adults to do their job. You know, they should be enjoying their childhood. And it really, you know, reinforces the point that we need to be ensuring that at a policy level, we begin to prioritize climate change as though our lives depended on it. Hey everyone, this is your host, Samantha Williams, and you're listening to Inside Global Girls Education. Today, we're going to talk about climate change and its impact on girls and women. We are so fortunate to have Dr. Christina Kwok with us today to talk about climate change education, how girls' education can help save us all, and what we need to do in order to prepare girls for life on an altered planet. Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to have you here and very excited to talk to you about this very timely and pressing issue. I'm really happy to be here with you today, Sam. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And so to start off, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're working exclusively on climate change these days? Yeah, sure. For the last five to six years or so, I have been doing research on the intersections of girls' education and climate change. And this sort of started in a cafe of a hotel, I want to say in London. And I was having a conversation, uh, or I was actually sitting on the sides of a conversation (laughs) with the former prime minister of Australia, Julia Gillard. And we were talking about um, girls' education and why an investment in girls' education is just so important. And she asked a question about climate change and sort of like, there's something about climate change we should be looking at too. What's the impact of climate change on girls' education? And I remember thinking, huh, I don't know. We haven't really looked at that. And so I looked at the research and was just really shocked to see how climate change has a disproportionately negative impact on girls and women, especially in developing countries. I was like, why aren't we talking about this? (laughs) Um, If we're talking about girls' education as an important investment, you know, surely there is some relationship uh, between an investment in girls' education and climate adaptation and resilience. And so the rest is sort of history. And I've been looking at these intersections ever since. Awesome. And I want to talk much more, of course, about the impact of climate change on girls um, in particular. But maybe before that, Let's get grounded in what is currently happening um, with climate change more broadly. And I know the the big headline, of course, is, you know, the U.N. climate report that came out recently and basically scared the living daylights out of everybody. So how are you talking about the big takeaways from that report and what was striking to you and was any of it new to you? Yeah, you know, the IPCC has been really sounding the alarm for many years now. And this particular report just sort of reconfirmed for the sixth time how important it is that we prioritize climate change in all aspects of our society. And for me, it just reiterated how 
our window of time to take action is rapidly closing. And if we don't take action, by the time the seventh report comes around, we will be too late in many respects. We are in many respects already too late to reverse the impacts of much of what has already been set in motion. You know, we're in the process of you know, the sixth mass extinction, we are going to see sea level rise, even if we take action today, you know, we're, we're in the middle of it. And the fact that this report just highlighted for everyone, you know, the unequivocal evidence between the links between human activity and climate change. I mean, this just should be a sixth wake up call for everyone. Mm, Yeah. I mean, I just read, and I'm going to say it the quote because it's so alarming. I read that children born this year in 2021 will, on average, live on an earth with seven times more heat waves, twice as many wildfires, and almost three times as many droughts, river floods, and crop failures as people born 60 years ago. So when you're saying, you know, we're in the middle of it now, I think that speaks to that reality. What else is happening right now around the world that we can all sort of relate to in terms of climate change being very present? And particularly, how is that affecting women and girls? Yeah, I mean, the quote that you mentioned, again, reinforces the point that we are on this runaway train towards a vastly different planet than we have ever known as human society. and. So when we think about, you know, our education, when we think about children, when we think about youth, what are we doing to prepare the next generation and future generations for a place where it will be unrecognizable? But when we think about what's going on today, for girls and women, they're often the first to experience those impacts and to experience those impacts the worst. Um, And this is because they are already sort of embedded in structures that undervalue their worth, that undervalue their time and labor. And so if you think about climate change as sort of, you know, a threat multiplier, all of the different risks and vulnerabilities that they already face are just magnified. So in periods of drought, especially in countries with low resources, with high rates of poverty, um, with low rates of girls' education already, droughts can pose an environmental shock onto households in ways that forces them to, you know, really recalculate what they can do with the limited resources that they have. And so oftentimes when you have societies that undervalue girls' education, those circumstances will just put girls' education at even more risk, Um, whether that means, you know, pulling girls out of school or, you know, trying to find alternative ways to limit the the stress on household resources by marrying girls off and you know using the dowry to help stretch household resources a little bit farther right you just have to really conceptualize like climate change destabilizes what we take for granted and that is our environment and so this means that you know girls and women who are already dependent in many ways on the environment for livelihood for their daily activities, this just places them in positions of precarity. So it's interesting that on the one hand, we have girls and women 
poised to really absorb a lot of the shocks of climate change. And yet multiple organizations and strategies actually hold girls' education as a central climate change mitigation strategy. Can you talk more about that and how that actually works? Yeah, so we're still really trying to understand the mitigation potential of education, period. We know it has great potential when it comes to adaptation and resilience, but on the mitigation side, we're really trying to understand that better. We have a couple of studies that show us that education can have an impact on lifestyle decisions that could have measurable impact on climate change. So for example, Eugene Cordero and his colleagues at San Jose State University in California recently conducted a study looking at the impacts of quality climate change education on individual lifetime carbon footprints. And they found that if 16% of secondary students in high-income countries and upper-middle-income countries were to receive quality climate change education, this could lead to a 20-gigaton reduction of carbon. And that actually puts quality climate change education on par, and if not better, than many of our technical mitigation solutions to the climate crisis, um, including electric cars and wind turbines, solar panels, et cetera. And when it comes to girls' education, we have studies that have shown us the powerful impact that education, together with family planning, can have on emissions. And that effect is by helping empower girls with the knowledge of her sexual reproductive health and rights an education that empowers her with bodily autonomy and interventions that create access to safe and voluntary family planning. But this evidence is also not perfect. It's based on years of schooling and not on the quality of education. And so if we were to look at the quality of education, we think that that could have an even greater impact, both in terms of mitigation as well as adaptation, transition, and social and structural transformation. Thanks for that explanation, Christina. It is very helpful because I think on the one hand, there's a lot of celebration, I think, of the idea of girls' education being effective against climate change, usually because of the effect on population. And so hearing about all the other ways in which education in general, and particularly for girls, can make a difference is very helpful and I think adds richness to that discussion. So then that's making me think, you know, where are we in the global response to educating all of us? I mean, but starting, of course, with with children around climate change and both in terms of mitigating it, but also resilience and adapting to climate change. Well, the point that you make is a really important one. And perhaps we could sit with that for just a moment longer, because I think it is also sort of the point in which there can be a lot of hang up around stakeholders talking about girls' education and climate change and sort of why we should be focusing on girls' education. And I think because when we're talking about girls' education and family planning, the conversation quickly jumps into population, population size, population growth, sometimes even into population control. And that is, I think, something that girls' education advocates are absolutely 100% not talking about. You know, it is not about uh, girls' education and family planning for population control, um, but it is something that needs to be acknowledged in terms of a long history of 
legacy of colonialism, legacy of racist eugenics, and a whole other host of items that I think the space needs to be very, very open to discussing and then moving forward from. Um, because when it comes to mitigation, you see organizations, you see stakeholders quickly say, oh, no, we're not touching that. That gets way too dicey. That's way too risky. And I think that this is sort of embedded in a larger structural politics around international development, international education, and sort of that post-colonial legacy and a legacy of coercive control over women's bodies. But the idea of investing in girls' education as a climate strategy is rooted in a rights-based approach. It's focused on girls' and women's empowerment, and it is targeting bodily autonomy and women's and girls' rights in ways that just have not been achieved globally. And I think that that is where we need to begin to push that conversation, recognize and acknowledge the terrible history, but we're not going to be able to move forward and especially move forward on tackling reproductive inequities and control over women's bodies if we're not talking openly about constructive ways to meet a very large unmet need around family planning. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, when I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about how a lot of folks, not necessarily my age, but even younger, perhaps, are thinking about their families. I mean, and this is across, you know, various different countries and backgrounds, and they're thinking about having smaller families or not having children. And people are saying because of climate and thinking about the kind of world that they would bring those kids into and knowing that, you know, our global population and resource consumption is sort of moving in a direction that's untenable. I mean, is there a way to talk about both things without, I think what's really important about what you're naming, um, moving into the space of really trying to control um, women's bodies, particularly in poor countries or formerly, you know, colonized countries, which is a very unfortunate legacy of international development and colonialism. Is there a way to talk about both? Yeah, and I think that that's talking about it from the perspective of empowerment and a rights-based approach and thinking about this as efforts to achieve gender justice in many ways. At least where the research is coming from, you know, it's looking at data in countries where there is a high fertility rate where there is low bodily autonomy when it comes to women's and girls' sexual reproductive health and rights, um, when it comes to low levels of girls' education. And it's really saying, you know, look, if we ensure that girls have the opportunity to go to school, get 12 years of quality gender transformative education, this can enable her to take control over her own life, her own reproductive decisions, whether or not she wants to have children, when, how many, and how far apart from each other. And that alone can have an impact when it comes to the effect of gender inequality and a woman's reproductive life being controlled by gender norms, not by her own decisions and her own choices. So I think what we need to do is we need to begin to nuance our conversation around girls' education in many ways when it comes to, you know, what are the kinds of climate risks and climate vulnerabilities? What is the state of gender equality? What is the state of girls' education? Because, you know, we also have countries that have high levels of girls' education, but still have high levels of fertility because of gender norms and that education not leading to gender empowerment. 
is complex, right? And we need to focus girls' education and climate change discussions that are much more localized, um, context-specific, and really begin to, you know, align ourselves with many of the climate change mitigation and climate change adaptation discussions, which is, you know, what are the locally driven solutions? What are the context-specific ways that uh, mitigation or adaptation can be implemented here based on the resources, based on the types of climate impacts, and, and so on? And Christina, with what you're talking about, sort of needing to keep in mind the different locations, um, different levels of a country's own contribution to the climate crisis um, and being a high emitter or being a country that is primarily absorbing the shocks of climate change, would talking about those distinctions fall under the umbrella of either gender transformative education or the green learning agenda? Yeah, so talking about gender transformative education in the context of climate change allows us to shift from just saying we need to focus on girls and their specific roles in climate change and thinking about how we use education systems transformation to change the purpose and the underlying values of education for both girls and boys. And so there is a girls' education component to that, but it's saying we need to tackle the unsustainable aspects of our education in general because it's not leading to the kinds of sustainable outcomes that we would expect it to. And that includes gender equality, that includes climate action, so a gender transformative education is really focused on let's change the very nature of our education so that girls and boys are developing the knowledge, the skills, and the attitudes that are going to be needed to survive and thrive in a vastly different climate-impacted world. And so in some contexts, that gender transformative education might look like incorporating more gender responsive pedagogy into the way teachers facilitate their classroom dynamics. It might also include really targeting uh, the content and the substance of that education to incorporate the breadth of green skills that are needed. From there, we developed a framework, what we call a new green learning agenda for education systems and decision makers to be able to say, okay, well, if we want to develop specific capacities, including gender empowering skills, you know, let's focus on gender transformative technical vocational education and training as one entry point. If we want to focus on the more generic capacities of communication, problem solving, critical thinking for sustainability, let's focus on our primary and secondary education systems and really get environmental justice, climate justice, climate change, gender justice, gender equality, incorporate that in our primary education and secondary education systems and orient skill building towards more sociologically sustainable and, and environmentally sustainable societies. And then sort of a third approach being uh, much more focused at you know, tackling inequitable, unequal, and unjust social and economic systems and structures. And that being where we look at you know, building youth political agency, especially girls, political agency and collective action, solidarity, and so on. And so when, we, when we're talking about a new green learning agenda, we're really talking about a new way of educating young people, children, adults about climate change and about how our planetary health is intricately tied to the health of our social systems. 
you know, what you're describing sounds absolutely necessary. It sounds like it's something whose time has come. It's probably overdue for all of us to begin educating and being educated in that way. But how far are we from that vision that you've painted of a green learning agenda? You know, are you seeing it happen anywhere or anything close to it anywhere in the world? Yeah, well, it is an ideal. It's a vision, right? It's an agenda that we hope all countries will get behind. And while we haven't seen any examples of all three being implemented simultaneously, we certainly see good examples of different components of that agenda. And so whether that be technical and vocational education programs that are really trying to get girls and women, for example, into green sector jobs and green sector skills training. These can be very empowering when it comes to ensuring that as countries move towards transitioning into low carbon economies, that we're not leaving girls and women out of that transition. Because many of the traditional green sector jobs that countries are focusing on in you know, energy systems, in transportation, infrastructure, and so on, these tend to be fields that girls and women aren't a part of in our fossil fuel driven economies. We see good examples of non-formal education programs trying to increase girls' participation in those kinds of more male-dominated green sectors, for example. Um, we see countries beginning to take on you know, climate change education. Italy, for example, having a mandatory climate change education component in their national curriculum, although I think with COVID, it's been a little bit stalled in terms of implementation. But, you know, increasingly, and, and this is where I think many of the education and climate change education advocates are pushing for at, you know, COP26, for example, the UN Climate Change Conference coming up in Glasgow in a couple of weeks, is that we want to see more countries say, okay, yes, we, we need to ensure that girls and boys are developing green skills for sustainable living and more sustainable lifestyles through the teaching of climate change in primary and secondary education. Let's talk a bit about COP26 happening almost next month uh, in November and what you're hoping to see come out of it. I mean, I think many of us are a bit skeptical of what comes out of these large convenings, but really right now the eyes of the whole world are looking towards this conference because the awareness around climate change has been so heightened. So what are you expecting to see out of COP26 and what are you hoping will come out of the gathering, particularly given that so many education ministers will also be there trying to advocate to put climate education on the agenda? Yeah, so there's three things that I'm hoping for. One is that the high-level delegates really put climate change education onto the climate agenda. Seeing more commitments by countries to make climate change education mandatory in the education system as an intentional strategy to achieve some of their national mitigation and adaptation strategies. Just recently, I launched with Education International a climate change education ambition report card. And we graded countries' nationally determined contributions, which are their national climate change strategies or their action plans, in terms of their climate change education ambition. And every country that has submitted an updated, revised, or new NDC failed. So we really want to see much more movement there. So that's one thing we want to see. The second thing we want to see is that more 
countries pay attention to the intersection of girls' education and climate change. We've seen in the last five years a lot of progress being made when it comes to the climate decision makers' inclusion of gender more broadly. So ensuring that gender is mainstreamed in national climate plans and these nationally determined contributions. Uh, We see a lot of progress when it comes to ensuring that women are consulted in the process of developing these policies. And we see a lot of progress when it comes to just really viewing women as key stakeholders and agents of change when it comes to addressing the climate crisis. But there has not been much progress when it comes to looking at girls' education. And in fact, out of all of the NDCs that we analyzed, no country is talking about girls' education as an intentional strategy to address climate change. The third bit is that this year's COP26 is also going to be quite important when it comes to action for climate empowerment. And that is Article 12 in the Paris Agreement and Article 6 in the UNFCCC. And that essentially says that all countries that have ratified the Paris Agreement have also ratified Article 12. And that is to ensure that all citizens in the country have opportunities for education, training, and public participation, public awareness, and public access to information around climate change. This is really, you know, the efforts that are needed to empower citizens to take climate action. And so this year at COP will be very important because the work program will be renegotiated and essentially set for the next five or so years. And it will be vitally important that this ACE work program really focuses on the gender dynamics and the gender dimensions of ACE including an attention to girls' education, including attention to the disproportionate impacts that climate change has on girls' education. And just, you know, we really want to see a strong ACE work program. I just had a question about how COP26 works that I'm hoping you can answer. You know, after after the convening finishes, what exists to hold people accountable to the things that they've agreed to during those two weeks of, of meetings? Um, what mechanism or, or structures exist? I'm just personally not so sure of that myself, not aware of that myself. Well, that's a great question. You have these high-level convenings and political leaders making you know, public commitments and declarations and so on, but then it's really the implementation that is most important, you know, where the, I guess the saying is where the rubber hits the road. Um, and there are several mechanisms for this. There are monitoring and reporting mechanisms that countries are expected to participate in. It's called their national communications. And depending on what kind of country you are, you have to report these every one year or every couple of years or so on. And it's essentially reporting on your implementation and how you are progressing on meeting the targets that your country has set out in the nationally determined contribution. So we have these, and we have these sort of subsidiary body meetings that happen after COP that is intended to help, you know, increase and maintain momentum. But, you know, when it comes to the implementation side of things, I mean, this is really where international cooperation, technical assistance, and the transfer of technologies and so on become really important. And this is where, you know, we get into climate justice conversations. Many of the countries that are experiencing the impacts of climate change right now, the worst and first, 
are ones that historically did not contribute to our present day carbon emissions and greenhouse gas emissions, and also happen to be those countries that often don't have the technical resources or the financial capacity to be able to implement their targets, you know, their actions. And so in many cases, there are a lot of countries making commitments that are conditional upon international support, international cooperation, technical assistance. And this is where it becomes really important for, you know, girls' education organizations to really begin to work with governments to ensure that their implementation is gender responsive and gender transformative, incorporates education, and really, you know, helps us move the needle when it comes to action in between these very large convenings. You know, moving from the the large global convenings to the type of work that's happening all around the world right now. I mean, one of the things that tends to make me feel less hopeless when looking at these huge crises is to think about the smart and compassionate people who are already doing something about the issue. So, you know, what are you seeing out there in terms of things or people that are starting to make a difference? Well, I have had the pleasure recently to begin working with organizations that really want to see more movement and more action when it comes to ensuring girls have the kind of gender empowering and gender transformative education to meet not only their own developmental needs, but to really empower them to then empower their communities. And so these are organizations that are trying to deliver traditional girls' education programming with a climate lens, increasing girls' leadership development capacities and climate decision-making. I've had the pleasure to be able to work with organizations that really want to walk the talk and make sure that girls have the opportunity to learn about climate change, you know, learn about their rights, especially also in participating in climate decision-making processes and also know about their right to a healthy, livable environment. I mean, these are things that young people can then, you know, hold their governments accountable on when they're not taking climate action. We've seen some really exciting lawsuits around the world where children are suing their governments for not taking action um, because this is their lives and their futures. So I have been, you know, really charged and energized by organizations working with communities and more on the community side as opposed to the national policymaking side, really trying to take action and, and move the needle there. And when I think about what I was doing when I was a teenager, I was definitely not going to the streets and advocating for what I think needed to happen when it comes to climate change and my future. And I'm just so inspired and awed by the youth that have been mobilizing around this over the last two to three years. But then every time I get inspired, I get so disappointed because they should be children. They should be young people. They shouldn't have to remind adults to do their job. You know, they should be enjoying their childhood. And it really, you know, reinforces the point that we need to be ensuring that at a policy level, we begin to prioritize climate change as though our lives depended on it. Because we're not going to be able to techno-fix our way out of this. We, we need social transformation. And that social transformation includes gender equality and the achievement of gender equality. For any girls who are listening, what would you say right now that they can or, or should do, given how this world that they are inheriting 
um, is really reeling from this climate crisis. When it comes to girls, and for any girl who is listening, I want to remind them of the power that they do have. And this is even backed up by research. Um, There was a study conducted that looked at the impact of children on their parents' attitudes and behaviors around climate change. And they found that girls have a particularly strong influence on their parents' perceptions about climate change. And um, even adults that have more conservative ideologies and all adults who are a little bit more set in their ways than, than young people might be. And so I want to remind girls that they have the power to change minds. And oftentimes, one of the biggest hurdles is just not having the information. And in work that I've done, we've talked to youth around the world and sort of how they got involved in climate activism And some of them have pointed to like, yes, you know, we learned about it at school, but when they talk about it in school, it's like a one hour lesson or a half hour lesson on it that sparked their interest. And this is also speaks to the shortcomings of our current education system, but they went and and explored information and dug up information and educated themselves about the science behind climate change and behind the actions that are needed and educated themselves about what their governments are or are not doing. It's an empowering story because it can be in your hands, right? You can find that information and be the fire that lights multiple matches up, you know, when it comes to spreading awareness and raising awareness. This episode is debuting on October 11th, International Day of the Girl. We want to dedicate it to all of the girls around the world who are grappling with climate change and whose leadership we must support. We also dedicate this to everyone who is in a position to make a difference for girls, if we just have the courage and the will to do so. Thank you all so much for listening. And remember, you can always reach us at teachforall.org girls and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Take care.